All right. All right, all right, all right. Oh, that was good, huh? <laughs> it's a good go. segue to what I want to talk about. Welcome to TGE, the podcast. Today's episode is going to be about a very special movie for me, so I'm excited. Hopefully, we'll won't fuck it up. It's Primer or Primer? Tyler, what is it? Primer or Primer? I've always thought it was Primer, but now I don't know. There's so many mysteries to the film. Maybe this is another one that's untapped. Yeah, I also always say Primer, but uh, I've heard other people call it Primer, so I'm really insecure about it. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we do, um, let's talk a little bit about this podcast. You usually tell us what we do at the beginning. Maybe you can do it again. Well, you usually say what the podcast is also. I do, yeah. It's a podcast about film editing specifically. But we kind of often go off on tangents and talk about the movie or <laughs> some other things. But we try to really make it about one specific scene something iconic where we take away something that potentially we could use to use as a kick in the butt and say oh this is something that somebody did that's really good let's steal it let's uh, use it for ourselves and maybe the audience does that too that'd be the best i want to have a comment well, from one audience member that says oh you know what you talked about movie x and i just used that in my short and it was amazing Yeah, I mean, I also editing is kind of the receptacle where everything ends up, so you kind of have to be thinking about everything. But I never think about it as, like, stealing stuff, but it's good to dissect techniques and what people are doing so you can apply it to your own work. We'd like to thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast. You can now have your iPhone do that for you simply by saying, Siri, subscribe to this podcast. Likewise, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere your podcasts can be listened to. We are there. And you said, all right, all right, all right, at the beginning, Sven, joking around. But it's interesting because I wanted to, to get ahead of this. I saw the movie Beach Bum this weekend, the new Harmony Corinne film. Um, and Martin Lawrence, you know, it stars Matthew McConaughey as this character Moondog, who's, you know, like a, a quasi-successful writer who is definitely married into wealth and is just living the ultimate fantasy of McConaughey's and Martin Lawrence co-ops his all right, all right, all right for a moment. So uh -huh. I thought of it, but it'll be interesting to talk about and get people's reactions to because I, I saw it with an editor and they were bothered by the editing of the film because it's very similar to Breathless and the, the way that it's done in terms of discontinuity. Apparently the film's not not getting like great reviews, whatever. I'm like a, you know, I'm a big Harmony Korean fan and I think this is like very true to his style. I think there's a lot of great valuable things about it, including the editing, but there are scenes where characters are, you know, finishing a sentence uh, in like a different part of the room or a different part of the golf course or whatever it might be. There's continuity is widely abandoned for certain parts of it. And I just thought it was interesting how this is celebrated in films and taught in films like breathless. I'm interested in this new climate with the reaction to Bohemian Rhapsody, which suspended me swore off of speaking of ever again, what the reaction will be. because this is an art film by all standards, but it has stars in it and it is being given a sort of larger release. 
it feels like on its opening weekend it's in like amc theaters and stuff so it'll be curious to hear the reaction of people going thinking they're seeing a star-studded mcconaughey jonah hill martin lawrence vehicle with isla fisher and snoop dogg to discover it's something very 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 challengingly different that's taking some gambles so i just you know would recommend it from my point of view and i'm curious to see how it is received given people are more much more conscious about editing now Will there be a takedown of it on Twitter, on YouTube, that's easily refutable by saying, hold on, let's look at Breathless. They're doing easily the exact same thing. refutable. I don't know, dude. <laughs> oh, I refute, the, I refute it all. Um, but yeah, it's interesting now with this consciousness about editing. So let's see what happens next week. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see it. I guess I have to go to the theaters again. Jeez. Well, Sven only goes to the theaters if there's reaction from the listeners so you know don't go just because i said let's see what kind of reaction there is to it and then you can find your way if if you've been summoned well it sounds like we're going to be talking about it next week so i'll make sure i watch it i'm a big fan of harmony corinne i actually oh good really enjoyed spring breakers and um, that's maybe a movie we should be talking about i saw this film at the amc right near you in burbank so i feel kind of bad <laughs> oh, <laughs> i you didn't invite you you now. should have called yeah are we not Shit. friends? What's going on? I, I don't know, man. Well, you said you wanted more arguments in this podcast, so... Oh, okay. I didn't say that. I'm just saying whenever <laughs> it happens, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> oh, whoops. How are things going otherwise? How's your week? Great. Great. <laughs> I'm asking We're recording so this right ahead of this being released. Yeah, I'm asking so that you ask me in return as well. So go ahead. Sorry. How was your week, Sven? Well, thanks for asking. Um, I just finished cutting the first rough cut of the movie that I'm working on. And so the entire movie is done in rough cut form, 97 minutes. And I feel very accomplished. It's always like the heavy lifting of doing that first cut. It's somewhat tedious and painful. I mean, I do like it, but it's you really have to, like, every day, you have to, like, it's almost like a marathon. You just got to keep running. You got to keep running. And you got to do another scene. You got to do another 10 minutes this week. And wow. now I can really like relax and and address some notes and then just watch the movie and watch it a couple of times and then start playing with it. So that's really awesome. What's really awesome as well is that the director is coming into town next week. And I've been cutting nice. this feature online basically for Patreon members. And they get to meet the director next week and they get to ask questions and we'll have like a little Q&A session with them. So I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. Speaking of time and the time it takes to do this stuff, you want to talk about primers, Finn? Yeah, let's do it. Primer is an, it's really a movie for me where it, it has a fascination that keeps on giving. I feel like I this is the kind of film I need to say see like every few years again and then I go off on a journey of trying to refigure out how how this whole thing works. Like the the whole plot is so intriguing yet confusing and I always like feel like I almost understand it and I'm listening to all the different interpretations and then by the time I get around watching it again i completely forgot about it and i'm starting over again it feels like a like a like a loop like that bill murray movie what's it called groundhog day groundhog day yeah yeah so primer is my groundhog day how about you 
Um, my Groundhog Day is Live, Die, and Repeat with Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. uh, directed by Doug Lyman. <laughs> just gives the action version of Groundhog Day. Um, no, I, I my my experience with Primer. Yeah, I saw it. I thought it was great. And it's it's the other thing about it is that it's this this indie film. Yeah. Um, that's so inspirational to so many indie filmmakers um, because he really just made it. You know, in Texas, just by the bootstraps, and you know, it went on to get. You know, some festival success. There's, uh, and then subsequently has just become this uh, this cult hit, and then was followed up years and years and years later with Upstream Color. So he's kind of like this iconic, reclusive director that's just dropping these indies on you every few years. And if you ever get a chance, if you want an experience, read his script, Atopiary, which you can find online. It's <laughs> it's infamous for. You know, in films that haven't been made, it's over. It's I think it's over three hundred pages long, and it's quite an interesting thing that he wrote. That's very, 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 very genre pushing for science fiction, and apparently had interest from Fincher and Cameron to make at some point. Wow, um, I could see that. So yeah, that's cool. Well, for the listeners who don't know what Primer is, it's a two thousand and four American science fiction film about the accidental discovery of time travel. The film was written, directed, produced, edited, and scored by Shane Carruth, is that how you pronounce it, who also stars. Primer is of note for its extremely low-budget, experimental plot structure, philosophical implications, and complex technical dialogue, with Carruth, a college graduate with a degree in mathematics and a former engineer, chose not to simplify for the sake of the audience. The film collected the Grand Jury Prize at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival, before securing a limited release in the United States and has since gained a cult following. And the scene that we're going to look at, I think, is a great example of this sort of intentionally confusing the audience and just being comfortable with the fact that this is a movie that just works based on intrigue. That's, that's sort of my take on that opening scene. I remember when I saw it the first time, that dialogue just flew right over me. I had no idea what they were talking about. And uh-huh. um, I was just like, just looking at the, almost like the visuals, like, what is this? And <laughs> right, it just went, went downhill from there. But super intriguing, like tr- constantly trying to figure out what the story is and kind of understanding what's happening, but not really. Right. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting take on it. Because I just kind of, I guess there is like a little bit of frustration to it that, was never a problem to me it just made it more interesting to me yeah that's the that's the interesting thing and like you're not really frustrated which most of the time you would be right if you if you're confused then you're get turned off by the movie but here it feels like confusion helps the film yeah and it's interesting to figure out what's driving it and so forth and so on and when that hooks in and you could just study this entire film in terms of that but yeah We'll start with just the one scene. Yeah, let's start with this one scene, and uh, hopefully you'll develop a taste for it. And if you haven't seen it, you want to see it right now. <laughs> so what do we usually do, Tyler? Well, usually, Sven, what we do is we count down, and on the word click, that is when we hit play. The YouTube link will be available to you wherever you are watching this. So if you would like to watch along with us, please do. If you would like to listen along, that's just as enjoyable. If you're in your car, you're jogging, Whatever it is you might be doing, continue listening. But if you're interested in kind of seeing our commentary and thoughts in sync with image, you can just hit when we say click. Nice.
Well done. All right, you ready to do it? Okay, here we go. This is the opening scene of Primer in three, two, one. All right, we're seeing a logo, which I'm not sure if it's actually part of the movie. Let's assume it is. And then it's dark. <laughs> we're nine seconds in, and suddenly, like, this light comes on. It's this fluorescent light, which kind of signifies a little bit the lighting of this entire film. The garage door opens, and more light comes into the room. I love this shot. I love both shots. There are two guys walking outside into the garage. There are two guys inside. They're wearing ties. Looks like they're either really seriously working on this or they just came from work. And this is like an after-hours job. There's mm -hmm. a voice that we don't know who that is. It's like a phone recording that's giving them, giving somebody instructions. Lots mm -hmm. of inserts of like some form of computer technology, some boards. Some really, like, low-grade computers. I mean, it's 2004, but the computers look like they're from the 90s. Yeah. Um, and it's fun because there's not a lot of explaining, and like Sven said, it can be ubiquitous and confusing, but you are just constantly... What they're talking about is confusing, but you're constantly being given visual information. So you're learning all this stuff. Like, oh, we have... You know, this is just an out-of-the-garage operation. It reminds you of the invention of, you know, early computers and stuff like that. They're obviously technical people. They're, they work in a office environment. Maybe they're IT geeks, IBM guys, whatever it is. They're rolling yeah. their sleeves up. It's after work. They do this on their own time. Um, and it's highly technical, whatever it is. And now we're kind of seeing this weird mailing aspect, which is the first really big question mark as to what the hell's going on. Yeah, there's this conversation going on that you really need to listen to if you even want to have a chance of understanding what they're talking about. But it seems like there's a conflict between these four guys. Two guys want to do one thing. They wear the same colored shirts. And the other two guys... Um, they have like a, I don't know, khaki looking. They um, khaki. seem to want to yeah. do something else. So they're arguing about this, how they're going to keep pursuing this project or the several projects that they're working on while they're mailing out like these low-grade computer cards. Mm -hmm. And I, this scene actually reminded me a little bit about um, Tarantino's first movie. Tell me, what is it called? Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Like that scene in the restaurant? Right, you have guys in ties talking, kind of going around the table. So it's a little reminiscent of that, but achieving a different thing, I, I would say, for reasons I kind of noticed watching it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is not like they're talking about whether you should tip somebody. They're talking about something where we feel like we're listening in on some scheme. Right, they're like doing some mailing to people. They're like outsourcing stuff like that. Interesting white shot here, where we see them on the right side arguing, and then through the door, another door, we see like the the wife or girlfriend of one of them, just like cleaning up the kitchen. And so the big thing that sticks out to me about this scene is that I know exactly, you know, whose house it is, just from the way it's been shot, even though that information has never been shared. Okay, who's is it? The blonde guy or the the brown-haired guy? To me, the way everything's been set up is it's 
and we'll talk about it in a second at the end of the scene, but it's very clearly, I mean, the director's in the scene, right? Yeah. Is, that, um, is, it, is he on the right, the brown-haired guy? No, no. He's the guy, if, like, so the scene just ended. Like, if you look at, it's a, to me, it's a really cool example of, of introducing a character as the main character yeah. without having any information in the scene as, you know, kind of establishing that or clarifying it. I'd really have to look at it again to be clear. But specifically, if you look at when we start seeing them at 122, and then especially getting to the way it wraps around at 133, yeah. even though we're not seeing his face, at one, at two minutes exactly, we have a shot with him kind of in the center of the frame giving him like a in a subconscious way like everything else in this film it is giving him like an added weight and of course the the cynic in me questions whether this is just because he's the director you know so there's that narcissism like oh let's weight it towards me i know i'm the important one but that would probably be done with any any lead character but it's just i oh, yeah. i realize oh, yeah. rewatching right. it subconsciously it's like oh this really i know that this is his film right now whether i realize it or not i think that that's a giveaway too story. at 210 12, 13, 14, he turns towards the camera and he's looking at his girlfriend's or wife. I think mm -hmm. that defines this is his house as well. Right. Um, so it's just kind of like the presence without without playing it too hard. It's like a really cool subconscious way of like having that. Yeah, this is amazing. Presence. I mean, in terms of the filmmaking, the visual storytelling, this is pure cinema. And for a first-time filmmaker, incredible. <laughs> and then the other thing you notice right after he's been established at 226, what do we see? We reveal as it plays that he has a wedding ring on that hand. Yeah. Oh, good and one. It's almost like we don't, we don't catch it. So there's just like, that's very, very Caruth to just be hammering information into your head without you necessarily realizing it. Yeah. 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 For sure. There's somewhere in this, a line where it says something like, uh, we're just working with the stuff that we have and making the best out of it. Um, maybe we can find that line again. But it's it kind of signifies what this movie is too, right? He's working with what he ha has and he's making it right. significantly more than what it is. Like the lighting is usually, this is like the worst kind of lighting you could have in a movie. And he just embracing mm -hmm. these fluorescent lights everywhere and then just made this really interesting grade on it um which makes it look really futuristic in a way or like dystopian in a way yeah i find myself questioning so this was in the early 2000s yeah 2004 so this is post fight club and obviously very 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 kind of fincher influenced i i would i would dare say because i know the cinematography in that film yeah was kind of boundary pushing for what it was and i think this is very very much inspired by that if i remember correctly this was shot with a dv cam i might be wrong but i remember upstream color was shot with the g4 yeah this is sure. like this is like a canon xl1 or something so like wow really, almost i think it might be sd and Oh yeah, those cameras. Yeah, that's f or if it was HD, it was like 720. I it remember was like HDV, the, like yeah. the yeah, like getting the the those the Canon was like our digital camera, and it's like oh wow, thanks. But it looks amazing in this film. In this film, yeah, it looks. <laughs> it it just adds to it. 
Yeah, and a lot of people had access to that camera, so to get this look out of it is says <laughs> says a lot. That camera you can buy for like a hundred fifty bucks nowadays, I'm sure. No, yeah, but it was. I saw a lot of stuff that did not look yeah. good made with that. Let's and look made at a lot of it. Let's look at this transition at one nineteen. So we are in the garage. There's lots of inserts, and then there's the slow dissolve. It starts like at one fourteen, one seventeen. And mm -hmm. he just pulled like some paper away and he like agitated this, what do you call this little guy that is like bouncing back and forth? Like the bobble thing? Yeah, this egg that is like a stand-up mm -hmm. thing. What do you think that means? <laughs> Man, Jesus, Sven, you lured me into this interrogation. Yeah, I, um, it means something. I have no idea what it is. But immediately? I, it tells know. me immediately. Yeah. Immediately it tells me that we're dealing with you know, kind of guys that are still boys at heart, you know, that still okay. have toys around nice. the op. So in terms of immediate perception as an audience member, there's that. And then, you know, as someone who understands the film, what it becomes, where it goes, there, there can be deeper and deeper connotation. Yeah, and it could all also I know, be I like an office gadget, like a little, what nowadays it would be a fidget spinner, right? Something you just hold in your hand while you're working on, on the computer and play with. Yes, Yeah, and we still need to do the this guy edits fidget spinners, but um, <laughs> it's or it's almost like a Russian doll looking thing, yeah, uh, which is like which would actually be very telling because there's a very Russian doll aspect to this this whole story. So, yeah, and for layers. all I know, it 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 appears 50 more times in the movie because I'm just not that familiar with it right now. Yeah, I'm not either. But uh, it's it's a really interesting transition from the garage, this sl slow dissolve, and then into a dolly shot around the table. And I don't even know if in Reservoir Dogs there were dolly shots, but I feel like this oh, for scene sure. is, is like an homage well, to that, it. And that's the difference I was gonna I was gonna draw is that in Reservoir Dogs it was very cool. It, you know, it had like these shots. Just he just had this kind of circular dolly wrapping around the characters, introducing them all as we went. Maybe we should look at that scene. So the way it's edited and stuff is very cool. Yeah, yeah. let's do it next week on the uh, passes and stuff. Um, oh, great. So I have two weeks to see that. Because you could cut and change. But and then, then the dolly um, stops, which is interesting, I mean, it's in right? theaters. Like in Reservoir Dog, I would assume then it just keeps on going for a while. Well, right. Here. That's what I was saying is, although the director is in both of those scenes, this one stops on the director from behind because he's the main character. Yeah. And it just it's a, it's a dolly shot that is ended on a certain character, gives weight It obviously does. to that character and then so. it comes back for a moment after we it it has that break in there to give weight we're going across the room and we're doing another dolly shot and then after that we're basically in inserts for the rest of the scene where we just sort of see these computer cards being put into bubble wrap and then into packages sent off and we have no idea yeah. why they're sending these off i mean it's it seems like they're selling one of their first like generation one of whatever they're developing developed well i thought product. they were yeah i mean there's two i mean i had a slightly different read on it that they were sending something to get help from people or, or see do, if they got got up. a hit back or something like to see if they they were like sending it to people to see if they're getting like a hit back or something like that i don't know but more importantly what it is in this whole scene is is like a series of kind of lean forward moments as norm holland would say right where you're just constantly like oh wait what and you're just being given these tidbits that are kind of bringing you in more and more. So I think it's effective in engaging and not giving you all the information. 
which yeah. makes it a lot of fun for a low budget movie like this to kind of have that. Okay, I I just want to know more. What are they up to? I know it seems important to them. They're doing it on their own time. They're serious. They're focused. So I think that's a cool thing about the scene. And the other thing I will point out, like you're given a lot of information and no answers. The other thing I'll point out that I thought was interesting that goes to that broader point about it establishing the character by doing everything you would instinctually do the opposite of to do that. Um, 259 is the only characters that really get tighter shots, medium close-ups, are neither of the two main characters. It's these two other guys. And yet, you know, they get the tighter shots, which you think, you know, if this was a Bradley Cooper movie or something like that, you know, he's going to get that shot. Yeah. right off um, saying a line. So it's like, okay, this is our guy. This is who we're talking to. This is whatever, what I paid for in that case. So it's kind of an interesting way to kind of defy the expectation with that and have it work really effectively to know like, oh, they have the tighter shots, but also these aren't the main characters. Yeah, that's that's true, which is which could be a Fincher move in a way where you're like misleading the audience as a misdirect or it's just like here we're not really maybe there is no concept to this it it has a certain rawness to it then we go to this white shot right after that closer dolly shot where we see the wife on the left side in a door frame and the group of people on the right side in a door frame that kind of gives us another moment of pause and really breaks up the scene and then we go to a high angle shot that we haven't used yet before right to get us back the thing is i would yeah, and I would say that was a. I don't. It doesn't feel like a misdirect to me purely because I think it's very intentional that we're, as an audience, understanding this is the guy with the weight in the scenes. It doesn't seem like we're being misled. Like, oh, this is this movie. It just seems like even though they have the tighter shots, they're not as important. Yeah, yeah. And then the final shot, sort of in this particular scene, is the two main guys are in the foreground. This is at three thirty-eight. They're still looking over the paperwork and the last packages that still need to be mailed. They look very frustrated. And the other two guys are being led out of the room by the wife in the background through the door frame. There's lots of layers to the shot. And Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, we don't really see the other guys again. And at perhaps not at this point, I thought this is going to be a story about these four people and their, their conflict of like trying to keep this company together and it's not it's completely not it's it's about these two guys that stumble upon this time machine or or cloning device by mistake and then what they do with it yeah you don't know at this point what the movie is about and you won't know for a while but right uh, and do we ever find out why the fridge is gift wrapped why the what why the refrigerator is like gift wrapped like there's so many things in it watching it like oh wait, wait, this is information what's going on here what's going on oh that's interesting and like and the incredibly like there's something about the lighting like that you know it's like just a great way of like constantly revealing new things like after we introduce him and he looks back at the wife we go to the shot at 217 of just this weird overhead lighting they have where it's like what is this sci-fi like what's going on maybe this where is like we? i mean i <laughs> This is the first time I'm seeing this gift wrap refrigerator. It's at 346. <laughs> but maybe this is... He gave her this as a present because he's working so hard that he's barely there. And this is like his guilt present. Yeah. Well, the fun thing about the gift wrap fridge is, yeah, it doesn't reveal itself until... That's great. That's awesome. I'm glad you found that. I'm sure there are many of these little 
shots in there where you just have to like go frame by frame to me this reads like okay he gave her wifey this fridge as a present because he feels guilty because he's working so hard he doesn't have any time for her <laughs> that's my right which i but <laughs> no i mean maybe but it's also kind of would then show that he's a bit of a selfish guy because it's like hey honey here's something to like keep food cool for me in um well whatever it means maybe we they're can doing relate well to that right we've been there um like we're always working too much <laughs> and we always feel guilty maybe go you on. don't i do <laughs> <laughs> go on no that's it i'm <laughs> done for we're getting to the heart of this guy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we should really listen to some of the dialogue um, because it's super confusing and intriguing at the same time. So hopefully we didn't talk over everything. But yeah, it's it's a cool scene. I was super intrigued. I love the fact that this movie was done for nothing and looks so great and the storytelling is so uh, mysterious. And I just and checked on IMDb. It has like 88,000 votes so that uh, like it's like that's huge for an indie i don't know what the budget is ten thousand fifteen thousand something really 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 low just a guy who wrote a script and said i'm gonna just shoot this with my friends and and that's my first film incredible yeah also but yeah so it's great inspiration and what you can do with the low budget with like less than desirable camera to be working with and all that how you can make the camera you know shoot it for that camera it's all good and you know oh and this is a movie that definitely rewards a deep 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 dive so we didn't do our diligence and rewatch it which probably would have been nice to help out with our understanding of the scene but that's why we depend on our wonderful community here to give us a little feedback hop on the comment boards share what you think about the film your insights how the dialogue relates to everything that happens later how the refrigerator relates to everything that happens later how the little bobble man relates to things let us know and where do they do that Sven? I guess they can do that at thisguyedits.com slash comment very cool. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please let a friend know about the podcast. I mean, we appreciate the spreading of the word, the growing listens, and we can't do it without you. Thank you to Curta for the music. And as Sven always says, Happy Holidays. Whoa. <laughs> He's looking at that gift wrap a little too hard. Mm-hmm. What's the holiday? April Fools? I guess I guess it's Christmas. Maybe it looks Christmassy oh. over there. So this is where Sven and I are realizing that we're going to do a April Fools joke at the beginning of the podcast. Ah, uh, nice. Oh shit, it doesn't matter cuz it's going to go at the end of April Fools. All right, never mind. All right.